0: Hitting revenue targets is hard and requires constant hustle. Last quarter's success is already forgotten. Learn the mindset and tactics of today's most successful revenue producers in B2B marketing and sales. We call this the revenue hustle. I'm your host, Tom Hessen, navigating you on this journey. Today's show is sponsored by Nine Lenses, an interactive assessment platform that enables you to add instant value to your buyers and allows your sales team to tailor business conversations focused on the pain points each and every time. Check them out at NineLenses.com. Well, hello. My name is Tom Hessen. I am the host of the Revenue Hustle podcast, and I have the distinct pleasure of having Margaret Irons, the VP of Marketing and Communications at Three Pillar Global with me today welcome to the show margaret
1: thank you i'm so excited to be here
0: i'm so glad to have you i know we've had the opportunity to kind of get to know each other over the past um over the past year as um, nine lenses has been working with you and your team at three pillars so this is going to be a fun conversation uh but let me just start and just give you you know the the audience a quick intro to margaret i'll let you introduce yourself but as you know the the VP of Marketing of 3Pillar, I'll let you describe all that that entails, but 3Pillar is a global digital product development services company, so I think that they build really cool digital products. But welcome to the show, Margaret. I'll let you do the, you know, give your side of the uh, the intro.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. It's great to see you as always. Um, yes, I'm Margaret Irons. I'm the VP of Marketing Communications at 3Pillar Global. We do digital product development services, as you said. Um, which really means that we help create products for our clients, uh, mainly in the information services space, that are customer-facing and revenue-generating for our clients. So we um, we say we touch our customers' customer um, and work with big brands like Fortune and PBS and um, and others um, in the in the media retail. Um, and information services and technology spaces. So really sort of information-rich industries.
0: Fantastic. Um, and how long have you been there?
1: I have been at Three Pillar for almost three
0: years. Okay. So
1: enough time.
0: Enough You're a seasoned time. vet.
1: I'm a seasoned Three Pillar vet. That's
0: exactly okay. it. Well, fantastic. Well, we're just going to jump right into today's episode. And as we started uh, in the past couple of episodes, we've been introducing this concept of revenue rules. These are concepts and ideas that our, our guests hold near and dear to their heart about what it takes to drive revenue inside of a business. So, Margaret, what is your revenue rule?
1: So I have a couple revenue rules, but my, my biggest revenue rule is that marketing and sales have to have no daylight between them. When creating successful campaigns, um, and that means you know, collaboration, alignment, goal setting, etc., must be in sync.
0: Personally. That sounds that sounds like a, a hard lesson you probably have learned along the way. That's not a, um, you know, I don't think I've heard co-creating campaigns with sales as a uh, as something that commonly flows out of the mouth of a marketer. So how did you come to this rule?
1: So it's interesting, um, you know the the old world of marketing is you know you do a bunch of stuff, build a bunch of brands, do a bunch of stuff, and then you know the leads come in and then you sort of throw them over the wall and and the sales picks them up and runs them down to the finish line, right um, And increasingly, we're seeing that um, customers are not raising their hands soon enough. Right. So you're, by the time that you actually have a conversation with someone, they're way far down in the process of their own buying. So they've already made an opinion about you. They've already made you know, an idea of what you are and, and how you'd work with them without you even talking to them. So the, the alignment in marketing and sales really has to happen at the, before the person makes that decision. And how do you find them? It's really hard. Um, Particularly when you're looking in a B2B services space, which we are, um, you know, finding titles, finding people, buying committees are huge. Like, it's just a really complicated sale. Um, And when I found that we have been most successful is when we sit down with our sales counterparts and we talk about their goals, um, what they're hearing in the market, how their customers, their clients, their prospects are talking about the problems that they're facing. And that we surround ourselves with those issues and really focus on how do we extract the theme or the thread um, from from what they're hearing and build our marketing to complement that, so that it's really in sync and in line with what they're ha- what conversations are having in the marketplace. Now, so, do you it, think?
0: Sorry, go ahead. Okay. I was going to say, do you think that that's a part of the issue with? or the, the the solution that you're solving is probably that marketing doesn't talk to as many people in the marketplace. I mean, obviously, sales is talking to people every single day. Um, you know, I've certainly have been reading on LinkedIn over the past few weeks and months just about how marketing needs to get on sales calls. Um, is that part of the problem that marketing is just not quite as close to the customer as maybe they should be? I
1: Totally. And, you know, it's funny. I actually just asked if I could get on a sales call next week because there are certain things, rhythms, consistencies that you start to see the more that you participate in the sales process that that I think are, are innate in the sales culture. Right. They're innate in a salesperson that um, that don't necessarily stand out, you know, certain words that that are used for certain audiences, um, ways that questions are asked by the prospects. You know that can be really telling and indicative of of the what the experience of our potential client is, and how we should talk to them, and what resources we should bring to bear to convince them that we are the right solution for their problem, or we can help them achieve their goals. So it. This this integration, right? And marketing and sales are natural frenemies, right? We all have the same goal. We all want the revenue. We all want the company to grow. We all want to get bigger. But you know, there's a natural, there's a natural push there, there's a natural conflict there that I think is important. Um, but increasingly as we see the sales cycle get more complex and the challenges that um our customers are experiencing, we just can't be out of sync. Um and and when we are this, the, you know, what we're doing on the marketing side to build brand isn't working as strongly. What we're, you know, the materials and the resources that we're, we're bringing to bear aren't as useful, right? And so, and that can be really challenging for the team itself, right? Why, why are we, we spending all this time and effort? What are, we, what are we getting for it? And so the alignment with the sales team is really important in, in creating that uniform set of goals and, and at that North Star, my team always hears me talk about the North Star. Where are we pointing? What is guiding our way? Um, And so so if if we can align with our sales counterparts in that, then, you know, in my view, we're virtually unstoppable.
0: Yeah, no, I think alignment, you know, when you're rowing in the same direction, you obviously get there faster. So I got to ask, what was the reaction to your request to be on the sales call? Was it a huh?
1: They were kind of, I said, you know, I, I it's been a long time since I participated in a sales call. you know, I'd love to do that. And they're like, well, sure, I, I guess you can't, you know, it was sort of a surprise. Like, why would you want to, why would you bother? Um, but I think, you know, like I said, you get so much value out of understanding the questions and how, you know, even how the materials that we're producing at a very basic level are being used, right? What's... Do you you go straight through the presentation? Do you pop in and out of slides? Do you use it as an afterthought and a leave behind? I mean, there's all kinds of things and that influences how we develop things and our our messaging and our positioning and what it looks like and how useful it is. And so um, the more information that we have, the the better chance we have of creating something really strong and, and powerful for the sales team and for the company.
0: No. Well, and I suspect by you working with sales and sales working with marketing, they're, you know, like you talked about the frenemies, like it builds probably some empathy for each other's role, um, n- knowing that, you know, salespeople don't think about marketing every day and and, and sales reps aren't think, or marketing's not thinking about their pipeline and what's going to get closed this week, this month, this quarter. Um, so what have you learned just kind of getting closer to sales, you know, from from them Being maybe more empathetic to you right or you being more empathetic to the sales team
1: i think that there is you know i was talking to somebody about this earlier there is a common misconception on both sides of the aisle about how much work a pursuit really takes right so how much effort and emphasis is being put in by the other side and that's where the natural frenemies come in right it's very easy to sit in the marketing seat and say well sales didn't do a good job chasing down the leads or you know creating the conversations or building the case to make to um, bring the prospect in right and it's very easy on the other side for sales to be like well you know I didn't bring the prospect in because the marketing was not great right and there was the wrong type of person or the wrong type of materials um, and so that's a really natural place for these two teams to sit and I think as we've coordinated more closely I think seeing the level of process that um, that that is taken on by um, by a sales function right so that the research that goes into creating the conversation, right? Like the, the understanding of the questions, the understanding of the person themselves and their own past and history and what their intent is. I mean, there's a lot of work that happens behind the scenes um, that I think is just not readily apparent um, when, you're, when you're outside of the team or you're outside of the call. Um, and so I think seeing that and seeing the, the foundational work, the groundwork that's laid you know, by the sales team as a part of the conversation is super instructive. Um, and it and it gives you a little bit of um, empathy for the amount of time and effort they spend in in pursuing each of these um, leads that we send their way. You know, we, we send them in batches. Okay, here's a 500 leads, go crazy. And then, you know, the, the narrative can often be, well, you know, we sent you 500, where are they, right? Or we sent, you know, there's 500 opportunities, just wait for you, just go ahead and get them um and i think having a real appreciation for what it takes to really do it well um and then you know the market is in our case sophisticated anyway and requiring more and more sophistication and so it requires mm-hmm. each each conversation requires that much effort and emphasis and i think that that can get lost when you're right.
0: not and i, I expect being in your business building custom products right? It's not like you're selling the same product over and over and over again, like software or something like that, um, where you ultimately have to bring each lead into and down the same general path. Now, it may not be at the same speed in the exact same way, but you ultimately get the product in the end. But in your case, you're selling a complex service where you're selling your capabilities and your and your differentiation, but the product that each of your customers is building is probably very unique, which Probably adds to a little bit more complexity to the sales cycle. Is that it, is that true? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, totally. And I, you know, we we said when I joined the company, they said, "Oh, well, you know, we don't we build snowflakes, right? That's that's how that's how we work for our clients, the snowflakes." Um, and our and our chief delivery officer Dave Swatsky, who's, who's a tremendous asset, to three pillar has said, "You know, all snowflakes are made of water, and so we have to figure out on the marketing side what the water is." Um, and create that common theme so that we can demonstrate in all of our work that we have a consistent um, footprint in creating a certain kind of products in a certain kind of way. You know, and we are differentiated. We use a product mindset. We have a different model called product development as a service. So there's a lot of stuff that we do that's different than our competitors. But I think it's it's this, the water piece that, um, that I think has been really a, a really, um, Sort of holy grail pursuit for marketing. How do you how do you boil it down so that the customer feels like they're getting the customization that they need to achieve their goals, but you're able to explain in terms that they understand that you've got history and reps against the the kind of work that they need. So it's a really complex situation.
0: Right. No, I can see that. So I want to go back to this. You know, the idea of co-creating these campaigns with sales, because I think there's a lot. Um, you know I suspect, like you said, marketers learned a lot about working with sales. I'm sure sales learns a lot just interacting with marketing about what it takes and and like what are some of the things that they're asking of marketing right because you're basically saying, hey, let's do this together they're you know obviously they want the good leads, right, but wh- what are some of the things that they've been asking marketing as of late
1: so it's interesting, um, and i I'm thinking about a particular conversation that I had this year that was really fun with one of my sales colleagues as she was getting ready for a call. Um, the The typical ask of a of a marketer from a salesperson is a one pager. I need a one pager that explains either what we do, or what this thing is, or what have you. And um, and so we have a, a big joke about one pagers in our in our team um, because they they never serve the purpose, right? First of all, we're a technology company. How lame is it to send an eight and a half by eleven PDF as a demonstration of how awesome your technology is? But You know, it it ends up when you start to have the further conversation, you can actually realize what um, what options are available within the marketing space to support the sales call. So, you know, in this conversation, we were talking about a particular lead um, and doing some research together, and and you know, helping the my colleague prepare for her call. And we realized in the in the conversation that this um, this guy interviews a lot. We have our own podcast called the Innovation Engine. Um, and he had been a guest on some several podcasts. And so we said, hey, why don't we invite him as a part of this larger sales conversation, introduction conversation to be on our podcast, um, which ended up being a tremendous result. First of all, his episode is fantastic. Um, and we got a lot of really great information, but we created a, a relationship and a value exchange that was so different than just sending in the one major. Right, Um, you know, sort of the the more perfunctory, well, you know, you wanna know what we do, here's what we do in eight and a half by 11, and then let's have a conversation there. So we were able to, you know, in pursuit of knowing this company better and, and, you know, eventually wanting to work with them one day, we were able to create this value opportunity between marketing and sales that I think helped further the conversation and the trust between them. So it's interesting. And, And as we enter into those conversations, More of those like substantive, valuable support opportunities are are available to us. And I think for my colleague, it was it was a aha moment as well because she didn't really know that that was an option um, available to her. Right. So then become became a you know an interesting carrot for her as well.
0: That's really interesting because. You're right. Like a podcast is one of those examples, like a webinar just kind of happens over there. Um, It goes on the website and maybe people listen and you just wait for them to click the, you know, call me um, or request a demo or whatever it may be on the call to action. But using the podcast as a avenue to warm a buyer, right, build trust, bring them in, you get to know them. And then, you know, I suspected they end up becoming a customer.
1: Um, I can't remember. They're they're somewhere in the funnel, but I think um, they. More importantly for us, because our sales cycle is so long, they became an advocate very quickly um, of Three Pillar and what we do. And I think that you know we we actually refer to those folks as our champions. Um, and we have a lot of champions and champions and referrals are a big part of our business. So it it ends up you know having another advocate in our in our corner is is a really important thing for us.
0: Got it. You know, absolutely. And as how do you guys do you align KPIs between marketing and sales? Like does marketing now have like revenue, like the whole revenue marketing or revenue marketer concept? Like how has that infiltrated three pillar in in terms of like.
1: And it's evolving and getting more and more mature. I think, you know, at least in my view, my experience of being a marketer is always that marketing is a cost center right um and so the closer you can align your marketing results to the sales and the revenue influence that it has the better off you are um in convincing your organization about the value of the team um and the team's work so i you know we talk a lot about common metrics and i think that's one thing that we were we were in pursuit of um in in the last couple years so it's not you know, marketing sends an email and the email gets a certain number of opens, but it's much more about what's the what's the shared metric of success and it can't be again our sales cycle is very long and our products are very complex, so it can't be revenue closed one because you can go a year, year and a half without knowing how your stuff is working. Right. So right. we then find a leading indicator, right? So how do we think about what are the leading indicators that the marketing is the right kind of influence with the right kind of people and it's creating momentum in our funnel? So we actually are really looking at another stage of it next year um and you know we operate under one commercial team right so we sales and marketing have the same owner in the same department and i think that's gone a lot a long way in helping us really understand and align towards each other's goals and and figure out where the progress is um so i think it's we, we absolutely look at that and and i think it's essential for any marketer to make sure that they understand how they influence revenue. Um, and can create a metric
0: that they can. Right, and I know attribution's a really hard thing because especially like there's probably a bunch of places and touch points where market the website, it could be an email campaign, it could be an ad somewhere and, and it's, you know, it could be a word of mouth, it could be a referral from a podcast to check this out. Like you just can't track everything that marketing touches. And usually it's the last touch that gets the attribution, whether it's a Google ad or, you know, some other thing. So it's it's a really hairy problem. Um, you know, I, I certainly read a lot about how people are trying to, you know, get people to think marketing less about, you know, every dollar has to be attributed to ROI because you can't, right? Because if, if someone just tells a friend, that can't be tracked and they come in and request a demo or click an ad. And, and you know, so like how do you how do you think about demonstrating or you know, telling the value of marketing when it's near impossible to track every touch point a buyer has with a marketing thing through that buying journey.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it is really hard, particularly when you um, work in an a organization who sales so complex, right? It's a lot easier to show influence when you're just selling a phone or a pen or whatever. Um, so I think we, you know, uh, we think about it in in a couple different ways um, one I we do a lot of work on the brand side which is really not quantifiable right how, yes. how much brand influence do you have what what does that metric look like so we try to find a lot of ways either through uh, moving in through like press hits and thought leadership and and locations of where our content is featured and our people are featured stages and stuff like that so we do have um, a more uh, qualitative um, sort of approach there um, in terms of understanding who's talking about us and how often we're featured and we can look at some things like that and the brand piece is really hard to measure but it's also really important um, particularly in a market like ours which is super fragmented right we don't have a consistent set of competitors um, we go up against all different kinds of people from all different kinds of agencies and services and so it's really important to, to be building that brand recognition. Um, so we do have some measurements, like I said, they're more qualitative. And then, you know, on the on the lead generation side, um, you know, we have you know, certain metrics like, I think, marketing influence across um, across new new clients, new engagements, things like that. Um, but we also start to look at other like engagement factors, right? Other other factors of success um so you know how how many people from an organization are engaging with our content at a given time and what does that mean is that sending us a signal that something's happening that they've heard about us or that we've been in conversation and so we look at things like that as well to help showcase the influence and try to tell a global picture um, so that we're not you know it can be often a challenge to avoid the single metric right um of success right you know either revenue goes one or you know it's number of mqls and if it's mql or die and and i think that what we found is that it's a much more complex picture than that and so you can't you can't boil it down to a single metric but you do have to figure out what are the key key things that you're following and 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 make sure that you're making the right inroads and and setting your goals along those metrics and showcasing what
0: you're uh, that is my last question on this on this rule here. so like how far do you or is sales asking for support into the sales funnel right so it starts you know at the very top of the marketing funnel, goes into the sales funnel, the top of the sales funnel and then it goes down through um, you know like how far does sales want you to get involved or how far do you want to get involved down to like you know when they sign the contract?
1: um we we can remain involved you know all the way through from start to finish um and i think those are some of the more fun campaigns for us to work on or pursuits for us to work on um because we we end up with that collaboration starts the very beginning and goes all the way through um you know we certainly are engaged much more at the top of the funnel in the activities a lot of times for us by the time you get to a certain stage of opportunity it's a lot of legal nitty gritty and you know contracting and and timing and stuff like that and we don't have to be involved in blessedly you know i'm I'm not a lawyer for a reason so um so i think that stuff is a little bit um we we don't tend to get as influenced that way but you know we do is you know as you as i talked about earlier we have this champions network and that is current clients former clients former employees and so our, a big part of our responsibility as marketers in in my company is to make sure that not only do we um, maintain a relationship with those people, but we do that from the start. So there's a lot of effort that you know, once you get through the funnel and the opportunities done, right, and you're moving into delivery, that doesn't end the relationship with marketing. And like, right. how do we keep that relationship alive and and showcase the work that we're doing, right? Because there's inside sales opportunities, right? We're we're only doing one kind of work for you, but we can do tons of different kind right, of work. So right, you know, right? right. It. So, um, so I, I I prefer to believe that our role is always um, always evolving and always important no matter the stage of the conversation.
0: Well, and I think that's an important point because I think marketing is generally thought of as new business acquisition, um, but there's also a lot of internal communication and marketing that has to happen about just educating people on. Um, Things are happening across the company. I know you guys have been very active um, acquiring companies, bringing on new board members and new leaders. Um, and then, you know, like you said, just touching existing customers, which oftentimes is perceived to be overlooked because uh, they're already in the bag, right? So like, why, why? that's like sales and account management or things of that nature. Um, so I, I can imagine just. You know,
1: you can't drop them out of the conversation. You gotta,
0: you gotta keep, them, keep them involved. Yes. Well, you mentioned you had a couple revenue rules. So I think that was a fantastic one. I mean, you can't ever, I mean, the, the co creation, I, 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 I'm going to use that a lot. So that's, uh, that's really good. What, what's the second revenue rule you have?
1: So, you know, it's interesting because you just talked about, you know, we've, we've been growing a ton and acquiring new teams. And I think this, um, th- that that has been a, a really instructive experience, at least for us. Um, and so I think another revenue rules is how it is focusing on the revenue as your north star as you integrate these as you integrate these new teams into your company right so how do you build a shared vision of what success looks like and you have to build a shared vision of what success looks like um, across the teams and build a path forward for them to come together and I think that's been unique to to our experience but Um, That goaling and that vision setting is so important as we, you know, in our own team, right, between sales and marketing, it's important for everyone to understand that. But particularly it's important as you bring on new players and new capability sets right into the organization, which we're finding right now, um, it's having that that goal and that vision and making it crystal clear and unassailable um, is is essential to success and to moving quickly and to growing and to doing all those great things.
0: Well, take us through that because, I I mean, I've never gone through that myself. Um, I've, at least in the, um, you know, assimilating and integrating a new company into the fold. Uh, So, like, I guess it starts with, you know, three pillar CEOs, leadership, right? David DeWolf, like it starts there, right? A shared vision for this new, larger organization. And how does that manifest itself down into, like, what you're talking about?
1: yeah I mean, it's interesting so David has a very strong perspective and point of view as as CEOs do and you know he built this company from the ground up. and so he is very you know very passionate about our product mindset and the work that we do and the culture of the company. and all of those feed into our differentiator, right? You know we build these super high performing teams. and so you know even in the pursuit of of integrating companies, we need to make sure that there's enough of the cultural and goal-setting DNA in there in that acquired company so that it doesn't become oil and water and you actually you actually get to merge. Um, but where it comes down, you know, the, the clearer the vision is from him, um, the easier it is for us to figure out what our piece parts are and how to make that vision come to life, right? So from a marketing side, you know you're we're thinking about growth right we we build these high performing teams that deliver digital product development services in this information industry Well, where's the next path right like that vision comes from from him but it's up to marketing to figure out how to go and message to that path and what are the right words who are the right people how are we talking to them how do you build momentum in an industry you've never talked to before you know if you're adding a new portfolio so so but that that global vision is really important one of the things that I think we started focusing on now is the connective tissue between the global macro vision of growth and, um, you know, aspirations of, of, you know, the next stage or whatever that is. That the connective tissue between that and um, and the delivery of the asset, right? So how do we think about what's the what's in the middle in terms of that vision, right? What are what are the incremental steps to making that vision come to pass? So it's not just we're gonna increase our revenue by X numbers, or we're going to, you know, have better high functioning teams or build a more, you know, solid organization somehow. But what does that mean for our team? What does that mean for marketing? What does that mean for sales? And again, then you extract the collective goal there and then use that as the North Star, building that alignment and moving it through. And what's really interesting is when you're adding in other companies yes, there's some similarities in the DNA, but they also have totally different ideas. And so you have to be as flexible in that aperture so that it's not so hard that you can't scoop up all the goodness that that company or that team brings to the table. Right. Right. Um, so it's a really delicate balance, but if done well, and you know we're trying very hard to do it well, um, I think it can make the team far more powerful um, and, and you know the results far more powerful.
0: Right. Because, I mean, anytime you're bringing two organizations together, you're having different skills and capabilities, experiences, uh, what's worked well, systems, technologies. And, you know, you got to make all that fit. So are you in this the most recent acquisition? Are they fully integrating? Is it going to be operating as, you know, like a, a brand of three pillar or is it all just kind of like coming in and fully integrating? And what does that look like when it comes to marketing?
1: No, we're. we're- Eventually, we will all be one uniform brand, which is a really exciting marketing challenge. Um, and we we just acquired two companies, um, and so th- that we are moving towards that. But the 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 recipe now is figuring out how do we capture all the good, and bring it into the three pillar home without sacrificing any of it along the way, right? So you know they they you know they bring different expertise, different strategies, you know different things that have worked for them. Different Content, I mean all kinds of different things. And so right now, what we're looking at is how do we take how do we understand what's the best the, what's the best things to to adopt and build in, and how do we do that in a way that magnifies and improves right. the brand and builds it up instead of just you know breaking it apart or or somehow compromising one over the other? So it's a very delicate process, but it's super exciting.
0: Yeah, I can imagine just any integration, just the technology alone, right? Just getting all the systems to to work, or you may have some duplicative systems, CRMs, marketing automation, right? Or, all that you know, this, stuff.
1: Yeah, so you know, using Pardot versus Marketo versus HubSpot, and they all function and look different, but have the same goal. And so, yeah, it's there's a lot of technical gobbledygook that ends up that ends up clouding it. But I think you know this this vision statement, right? The, the, the understanding of where we're headed and how to get there, it makes it so much easier to follow a path and make decisions. Because um, I think ultimately, you know, as, as leaders in an organization, we have to understand the, the consequences of the decision one way or the other, and be able to evaluate those to figure out the path to go. Um, and so the clearer your vision is, the, the easier it is to make those decisions comfortably and, and move quicker.
0: And how this is just kind of a a COVID question, how has being working remotely played into kind of the onboarding of these new companies and the team, you know, and and marketing, right? Like it just you can't be at the whiteboard together or, you know, a lot of that creativity stuff that marketing does so well, it's got to be harder, you know, over Zoom calls.
1: It is really hard over Zoom calls. You know, it's funny. Some of the, the our new teammates in different areas, like we probably would have met them the same way, COVID or no, right? Because these teams that we're, we're working with now, they're in Arizona and Costa Rica and all over the place. So that there's some of it that would have been the same. But I think the ability to get together and whiteboard and, you know, at least for me personally, I find that, it's the, the goofy side of the conversation when you start to joke around with your colleagues that some of the real gems come out of that. Um, and, and it's really hard to do that when you're staring at a monitor, right? And I don't have a whiteboard and, at my house. And, and you know my colleagues don't have a whiteboard either. So there are certain things we've tried, you know, team building exercises over Zoom, but there's a lot of fatigue with staring at a computer. And, um, and it, it just doesn't feel so creative. Um, and I think that's, you know, one of the joys that at least I find in marketing is, is that ability to create and build and try new things. And so it has been limiting and, you know, in some ways, and I think, you know, forces us to really try to get creative on how to be kind um, of think virtually. So we actually do things like we have an assignment every week in our weekly marketing team meeting where everybody's in charge of bringing back at least one or two new ideas that they saw in the market that we want to try or replicate thought was cool and to talk about why and you know sometimes it's somebody you know you got send a gift through whatever system and you show them what it looks like and what it meant or you know sometimes it's really interesting advertising or video work content Um, and so we try to do things like that to help keep that creativity up but it is it is a challenge for sure
0: yeah, no, I bet. Well, I know how creative your team has been. I know we have the opportunity to work together with um the product mindset diagnostic. And I'm gonna put a couple of things in the show notes, be one being the Innovation Engine podcast. So make sure I get the link to that. I wanna include that. Um, just talk a little bit about why you guys wanted to build, you know, a, a kind of an interactive assessment, which is our language. It's built around your product mindset, which you talk about. Um, you know, there was a book written about it, but just kind of how did you come to that? place yeah so
1: the product mindset you know is is the frame that
0: we use to approach all of our product
1: development um, engagements right and it really it it helps guide our teams um and has you know a couple core principles right it's excelling at change it's minimizing t- time to value and solving for need and really how, how do you take those three sort of principles and and use that to help guide the team towards success so we employ it all the time Um, And there's, you know, what we thought with the assessment is there's sort of a product mindset continuum. You could be great at solving for need, but not great at excelling at change. And so where does that limitation come to pass for your team and what does it look like? So we wanted to create a way and to help look at, you know, where the, the person that we're talking to is in that continuum. What are things that they are experiencing? How do we identify those experiences and help give them some tools to move forward? Um, and so it it you know it helps in a couple ways right it helps us in a sales conversation obviously because you have a frame to talk about in your next conversation but it also is a is a valuable offering right if you if you are you are leading a product organization and you feel alone and you're stuck right how do you unlock that right. that situation and, and create a path forward and if we can use a tool like a diagnostic that can help showcase areas that that you can make changes and small tweaks and improve immediately, it it really goes a long way to, to showcasing the value of three pillar, the value of our product mindset, and right. and to create that relationship. And so we we've seen a really, a really great success with it and um and are looking forward to to seeing it continue to build relationships for us.
0: Yeah. And I know how hard software development is, just, you know having been in it a, a bunch of times I've taken your product mindset diagnostic I learned something every time uh, because again like you said building software is hard a lot of people don't know all that goes into you know it's 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 you know a lot of inputs and a lot of outputs and boy there's a lot of opinions and requirements and and um, science and art that kind of go into that and and so there's a lot of opportunities for you know success and and challenges so like just being able to showcase or highlight for clients where they are uh through your framework the product mindset i think was genius um and super valuable i i i personally and a lot of the assessments we build i don't know the domain but this was one that uh could could land pretty quickly with with me uh just given the the software that we build so um I'm still using that, so just so you know. Um, well, thank you, Margaret. I want to just turn a little bit to just how you got into marketing. Um, you know, what career aspirations do you have? Just love to hear a little bit about the journey um, of your career. Sure. Um, you know, it's
1: funny. I joke that my career really only makes sense if you look backwards. Um, you know, it it, I, I can tell you how I got to each place, but it doesn't all, it doesn't all necessarily sequence uh, normally, but um, I have a background. I started in marketing, you know, I graduated obviously with a degree in international studies in Spanish, and I was gonna be an international development superstar, and that never came to pass. And after dabbling in that for a little bit, I ended up working at a PR agency, and that turned me on to this world of, um, of marketing and public relations and communications so I spent a long time in the agency world um, and got to work for some amazing brands, um, ending my last gig doing uh, marketing and crisis and media relations for McDonald's, the uh, local cooperatives wow. in Maryland and Virginia, um, which was a tremendous amount of fun and I know an absurd amount about McDonald's um, and I eat there all the time and I still love McDonald's and I loved working for that company and I got to go to Hamburg University, which was amazing.
0: Well, they, they've they've had some of their own controversies here as of late. Just um, just watching the news. So I'm sure they're they're hiring your old firm potentially.
1: Yes, I mean it's you know, it, it's funny like when you think about crisis communications and you think about the world of McDonald's. You know, I attended everything from you know some person put their car and drive instead of park and and drove into the store and what does that look like or you know um, you know fires and things like that. You know all kinds of things that you don't even think about. So it definitely kept me on my toes. Um, it was a great experience. Um, and then I went to the client side, and I worked um, a, a, you know, in-house um, building marketing campaigns and content marketing campaigns uh, for the US Chamber of Commerce. Um, and then you know, fell in love with the startup world, the technology world when I was there, created a lot of relationships there, and moved into uh, working for 1776, which is a local incubator here in DC. Um, and was with them for a while, and then through them I met Three Pillar and started talking to the leaders of Three Pillar about the work that they were doing, and really, you know, enjoyed the um, the conversations I had with the leadership, and really trusted that they um, were doing tremendous things, and I wanted to be on on the bus, so um, I got to come over and do that. Um, so the, you know, it definitely feels a little bit, as I describe it, as like each experience was a snowflake experience, but the water was the. The marketing and the um right. and the pr work and and being able to apply it in so many different ways and so many different kinds of organizations has really stood me in great stead
0: and, so, and i suspect yeah. your time at three pillar can probably be considered like several different jobs in and of itself right? just given the stage of growth that you've been along to see and contribute to
1: Oh, 100%. And, you know, it's a little bit targeting back to my agency days, because, because, you know, when you're in a PR agency or a marketing agency, you have a bunch of different clients, so you have to be able to hang up the phone with your, you know, United Nations Foundation client and then pick up the next call, and it's the Office of Champagne USA, and you have to be able to pivot quickly, right? And we work off portfolios in our company, right? We work in retail and media and information services, and they're all different kinds of organizations that fall in those categories and they have different leaders and different needs. And so that ability to pivot that you get in the agency has really stood me in great stead at three pillar, being able to learn the different uh, motivations of each of our each um, of our portfolios and, and, and the folks in them. So um, it definitely requires a lot of a lot of pivoting and change. And you know, as we grow as an organization, more more capabilities, as we build in more organizations, um You know we're scaling our team, we're scaling our operations, and so there's a lot of tremendous opportunity that um is super exciting in the marketing world of two pillar
0: yeah, I see you guys popping up all over my LinkedIn feed just with new announcements um just by thinking the last 60 days alone as new board members, new, new executives, new acquisitions. So you certainly have your hands full. Um, but I just want to thank you so much, Margaret, for coming on the Revenue Hustle. This has been a delightful conversation. I really love the rules that you put forth today. Um, and, and so I hope we can do this again down the road as you know, you know the three pillar will be twice the size and you'll be going to Costa Rica to meet with your team in person. You should definitely be pushing for that trip
1: absolutely i'm trying as soon as they open those borders
0: i am i am there for sure awesome well thank thank you you so much my pleasure all right thank you thank you for tuning in to the revenue hustle this episode has been brought to you by nine lenses close more deals with interactive assessments check them out at nine lenses.com see you next time